Our reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, and we're beginning to read at verse 1. It's headed, The Fall of Man. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, We may eat fruit from the tree of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Though through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. We give thanks for God's word.
Adam was walking around the uh, Garden of Eden, feeling rather lonely. So God asked him, Adam, what's wrong with you? Adam said, these animals are all very well, but uh, I've got nobody to talk to. God said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a companion. And this companion will be called woman. And God said, this person will cook for you. She'll wash your clothes. She'll always agree with every decision you make. She will bear you children and never ask you to get up in the middle of the night to take care of them. She'll not nag you and will always be the first to admit that she's wrong when you have a disagreement. Adam asked God, what will a woman like that cost? God said, an arm and a leg. Adam said, what do I get for a rib? And the rest is history. For Adam and Eve, it was, uh, it was just another day in paradise. It was just another day in paradise. And little did they realise that that day was going to turn sour. Just another day in paradise was going to turn into paradise lost. Maybe it was the first trick or treat as a serpent tried to trick them by offering them the treat. Trick or treat? Dare we mention that in church? Some people are shaking their heads already. Halloween. It was last night. I don't know if anybody came knocking on your door. Should Christians celebrate it? No. I definitely know. I was going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and discuss it, but some of you have already, already made your minds up. Uh, just turn to the person next to you and see if they, if they think no as well. Anybody not, anybody not say no? We heard quite a few uh, no's. Anybody think we ought to be celebrating? I'm getting out. I think, I think that means, I think that's in the middle, isn't it? As, as that would say, somewhere in between uh, true and false. It's interesting, isn't it, that, uh, that Halloween certainly uh, seems to be becoming a, a bigger uh, celebration than it, than it used to be. Apparently, according to Radio 5, it's now the third biggest festival in the year. Before you get too uh, worried about that, I was trying to think, what, what, what other festivals are there besides Christmas and Easter? So uh, I'm not sure that that actually uh, means very much. And, and, and it's probably more down to uh, the supermarkets uh, that seem to have aisles now full of uh, Halloween that's kind of encouraged it. Um, but actually, I mean, the history of Halloween is interesting, isn't it? Um, again, it, the history of, of Halloween, uh, not everybody agrees on the history of Halloween. Uh, Halloween, you know, it, it comes from, from the word all hallows, doesn't it? And uh, we, we know hallowed. Uh, we, 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 we speak about uh, hallowed in the, in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. And of course, Halloween is, is the eve of, of all saints' day. You know that today was uh, All Saints Day. 
Uh, not something we tend to make a, a great deal about it in the in the Baptist church, but I'm sure some churches will be making a much much of it. And of course, All Saints Day is is remembering uh, the saints who have passed and gone to glory. It is actually about remembering the dead. We tend to do that next week. We remember the war dead, don't we? And rightly so. Uh, but really, All Saints Day and All Hallows is is about uh, remembering the dead. And obviously there is a more sinister side to it, and, uh, and we see that in, in, in some of the kind of uh, uh, horrible masks that are available on the children's aisles of, of many supermarkets uh, that we wouldn't want to encourage in any way. Uh, but many uh, countries have uh, traditions of... Uh, this is a, a scene from the latest James Bond film that opens in Mexico... In, uh, in their celebration of the Day of the Dead. Many cultures and many uh, people uh, do recognise uh, days when they remember the dead. And uh, All Saints Day is actually uh, uh, about remembering also the, the, the triumph over death, you know, as Paul says, where, oh, death is your sting. So maybe, and uh, I realise this may be a little bit controversial for some of you who, who said definitely no, we shouldn't celebrate uh, Halloween. Maybe we need to recapture something of the uh, the Christian roots of Halloween in the same way as Christmas and Easter has has interesting roots in in in, in, uh, in traditions uh, in that mixture of, of kind of uh, religious and, and secular. And uh, maybe we need to make more of Halloween from a, a religious perspective. I'm not suggesting that we all go out and start playing trick and treat and, and dress up as, as witches by any means. But maybe there's something there for us. And it certainly uh, focuses our minds. We can't help but be focused because it's everywhere, isn't it? Even if you watch Pointless, you think it's safe as a Christian watching Pointless and you turn the television on and they're all dressed up in, in Halloween costumes and uh, and, if, and you quickly switch over to another program and you find that the, the, the Dancing with Ice is, is, is uh, what is it? Uh, strictly, sorry, Strictly, uh, come dancing. They're all dressed up in Halloween costumes and you just, you just can't escape it. And uh, there's something about Christianity, and sometimes we do go into escape mode, don't we? Uh, you know, many Christians, I'm sure, will have, will have, have, uh, have turned the lights out last night and, and perhaps pretended they, they weren't in, so they don't have to have that dilemma of do we actually, do we actually, uh, you know, join in with this kind of trick and treat thing? And uh, we don't want to be escapists. We want to be in the world, but not of it. We want to be bringing light into darkness. And this morning we're looking at this passage, um, which does has that dark element, uh, entitled the, the Fall of Man, where we see uh, just what evil can do. And the first thing I want to point out about this passage is that we have uh, a seeking God. We have a God that seeks us. Because God walks in the garden and he asks Adam and Eve a very important question. They've, they've been tricked by uh, the serpent, they've eaten the forbidden fruits and they are now hiding. And God walks in the garden and he asks them this question, where are you? Where are you? I don't know about you, I don't think God is asking that question because he can't see Adam and Eve hiding behind the bushes. Uh, I think God knows exactly where Adam and Eve are. But he asks the question because he wants Adam and Eve to realise where they are. 
Where are you? When people are lost, this is the most important question you can ask, isn't it? You know, you're driving around uh, in a car and your sat-nav's gone off the blink, there's no signal, and suddenly you realise you don't know where you are, and maybe you, you if, 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 if you're not a proud man, you, you wind the window down, or you push a button on you, and you, and you do the automatic whisker, and you ask somebody, where am I? I don't know. It's an important question, isn't it? Where am I? Adam and Eve are hiding. And God calls out to them, where are you? The sense in which they're playing hide and seek. Where are you is a reflective question. It's a question that's intended to cause one to think and reflect. And maybe this morning, God wants to say to you, where are you? Not just in physical terms, we know and God knows that you are in Lum Baptist Church. But some of us might be hiding. We might even be hiding behind the mask of religion. We might think it's a safe place to come and nobody's going to find us out. We'll keep coming to church and we'll hide and we'll pretend everything's okay. Where are you? John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, reflects the meaning of this question when he encourages people to ask each other, how is it with your soul? Some of the older people amongst us may remember the hymn, is it well? Yes, I can see that you do, perhaps we should have sang it at the end of this service. Uh, maybe some of the younger ones wouldn't know it. The question is important, isn't it? The question that, we, that God asks, but it also ought to be a question that we ask of one another. How is it with your soul? Where are you? God asked Adam, where are you? Because Adam needed to see himself as God saw him. Hiding in the bushes instead of walking free in God's world. Hiding in sin instead of running to the Father to seek forgiveness. Thinking up excuses. Doing anything he could to keep from admitting he had done something wrong. Where are you? Of course, the reality is, there's nowhere that we can go to hide from God. Because there isn't anywhere where God isn't. The psalmist talks about, you know, where can I go? Where can I go if I go to the highest, if I go to the lowest? God is there. There isn't anywhere that we can hide from God. But it doesn't stop us trying. It doesn't stop us trying. And it just may be that you're here this morning and you know that you are hiding from God. We tend to hide from God when when things go wrong or when we do things wrong. Uh, there are times when we hope God is watching, hasn't there? If we're honest, let's be honest about this. There's times when we're, we're doing a good deed or we're doing something fantastic and a little thought pops into our mind and well, I hope God or somebody is watching me now, seeing me do this good thing. But there's also the reverse of that, when we hope nobody's watching because we know what we're doing is wrong. And we all fall in that place. There's nobody here this morning who doesn't know what I'm talking about. 
Because we've all been where Adam and Eve are. We've all been hiding behind the bush, hoping that nobody finds us. It starts from childhood, doesn't it? You know, when uh, when you think that you can hide from your parents because you know that you've done something wrong and you think that they'll never look under the bed. They'd never dream of looking in under the bed or in the wardrobe or behind the shed and you feel that you're safe as long as nobody finds you. But then, of course, your mum lifts the covers up and there you are and you're in trouble. Where are you? Are you hiding from God? I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Before when God came walking in the garden, it was wonderful. But all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are fearful when they hear God's footsteps walking towards them. Something has changed in that relationship. Something has gone wrong. Sin separates us from God. And we see that right at the beginning of the Bible. Where are you? God is seeking Adam and Eve. And God is seeking you. And God knows exactly where you are this morning. But he wants you to know that he knows. Where are you? And then we have a searching God. A searching God. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Who told you? And of course, this is where the blame game starts. Maybe you're familiar with the saying that uh, God blamed Adam, Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the, serp- blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. But it does come quite naturally, doesn't it? We do tend to, uh, to, uh, to blame others. Who told you that you were naked, God asks. Who told you? Who told you? The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Notice that Adams is doing a bit of a double whammy here. He's not just blaming the woman, but it's the woman you put here. So he's, he's, he's trying to shift the blame not just to the woman, but to God. And it's interesting, isn't it, how many people, when things go wrong, almost our immediate instinct is to blame other people, but also to blame God. People that never would step a foot in church and would say that they don't believe in God will quite happily blame God when things go wrong. They'll say, you know, how can there be a God because of this, that and the other? It almost seems to be part of our human nature to want to blame other people for our mistakes. We see it in, in the world, don't we? When anything goes wrong, they always look for somebody to blame whether it be the financial crash, crash or, or you know, MPs uh, swindling their expenses. We're always looking for somebody that we can point the finger at and say, there, it's this person's fault. And in some, in some way, it makes us feel easier and less to blame. And let's not kid ourselves because we also play the blame game. We want to blame others for things that have gone wrong in our lives. We want to blame others for the mistakes 
that you and I have made. The serpent deceived me, says Eve. She's joining in. She's following her, her husband's lead here. Uh, oh, right, we're playing the blame game. I've got to find somebody to blame. I'll blame the serpent. She took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. Do you notice that little detail? All the time when he was having that uh, dodgy conversation with the serpent, her husband stood right next to her, remaining silent, saying nothing. Not saying, remember what God said. Not saying, I don't think we should be doing this. He stood right next to her. And yet... He wants to blame somebody else. He was there. He was responsible. The first sin was followed by the first cover-up. The first disobedience was followed by the first denial. And the first trespassing was followed by the first book passing. It's always good, isn't it, to have someone to pass the book to. But sometimes we have to stand up and be counted and say the book stops here. I'm going to take responsibility. Where are you? Who told you? Why did man disobey? Why did woman go her own way? The simple answer is, they chose to, says Melvin Tinker in his book, Reclaiming Genesis. We can't shift the blame. We have to own up and take responsibility for our own actions. And Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. In Genesis 3, he goes on to say, Malvin, we are told that the serpent is just a creature created by God. In fact, the Bible does not even attempt to answer the question of the origin of evil. I once met a talking snake. You don't believe me, do you? I was in a, a national park in, in Canada, uh, the Bruce Peninsula, and uh, I found this lovely walk, beautiful walk that went through these woods uh, to this uh, secluded uh, bay. And I thought, that'll be a beautiful walk. Um, but I, I did read all these instructions and, and things that, that warned you that there, there might be the odd bear in the forest. And that uh, the Bruce Peninsula was particularly well known for a, a particular poisonous uh, rattlesnake. Uh, but it did say it was very unlikely that you would you would come across a bear or a rattlesnake. So um, I didn't mention to the girls that, uh, that there was this opportunity. And would you believe it? We'd hardly started on the trail when I heard a very distinctive rattling sound. And the snake was speaking to me. It was warning me, don't come any nearer or else I will bite. Don't come any nearer, or else I was bite. Don't talk to the snake. Don't talk to the snake. Don't listen, or do listen. The problem was, it wasn't that Eve talked to the snake. It was that she, she forgot what God had said. She didn't know God's word well enough, because the snake who we read was the most crafty of all the animals that God had created, managed to twist what God had said. Did God really say this? Surely you won't die. It's so important that we do know the truth, isn't it? 
as opposed to what is false. That we know what God's word has said. So that when somebody comes along and tries to twist it or, or reinterpret it in a different way, that we recognize the truth for ourselves. And so we're not so easily deceived. Who told you a searching God and a very searching question? And uh, let's not be people that try and blame everybody else. Let's take a responsibility. And let's remember that when we do confess, when we do own up, that we can receive forgiveness and it can set us free. And some of us that are hiding and some of us that are uh, are wearing different masks. Have you noticed that, that Halloween's very much about wearing masks, isn't it? About pretending to be somebody else. And many of us wear masks even in church. We tend to wear smiling masks, don't we? And uh, put on the pretense that everything's okay. And sometimes behind that mask is hiding a different sort of face, maybe a sad face, maybe a disillusioned face. Maybe a face that doesn't really want to face up to the reality of where they are. David Atkinson in his book on Genesis says, If Satan is present in the story of Genesis 3, he's wearing a careful mask. He is hidden in the ordinariness and everydayness of a creature in the garden. The snake does not feature in this story as the cause of human failure, but that which faces human beings with the reality of their trust in God. Can we trust in what God has said? And can we live by what God has said? So we need to be clear what the story is saying and avoid asking its questions, which it does not address. It refuses to ask the question, how did evil come into the world? The origin of evil is left within the mystery of God. There is a mystery about the origin of evil. Within the mystery of God. We sang with the children, you know, that when God created it, it was good. Everything was good. And then suddenly we turn a couple of pages and, and everything isn't quite so good. And, and we, we can, we can think and we can wonder and we can, we can, we can ask the questions. But the Bible doesn't actually tell us where evil comes from. It's just present. A searching God. And then finally, of course, we have a saving God. God says, what have you done? What have you done? For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Jesus came to reverse what happened in Eden. The Bible talks about Jesus as being the second Adam. The one who came to pay the price for Adam and Eve's sin, for your sin, for my sin, and for every sin that has ever been committed. Jesus takes it upon himself, upon the cross. And so that we can be forgiven. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. What have you done? God asks of Adam and Eve. Well, they've done what God told them not to do. It's interesting, isn't it, that this, this first sin, it wasn't some you know, terrible sin in, in, in many ways. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a murder. It wasn't some awful sexual sin. It was the sin of disobedience. 
the sin of disobedience, not being obedient to what God had said. Just as sin, Paul says in Romans 12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? As we gather around the Lord's table in a few moments, we need to remember that there was a descendant of Adam and Eve who would bring about the destruction of evil. The decisive battle was going to take place on another tree, the tree of Calvary. And Jesus was pierced on that tree. His heel was pierced. And just as God provided garments of animal skins to cover the man and the woman in the story in Genesis, he provides the garments of Jesus Christ's righteousness so that we can stand in God's presence without shame and without fear. When the sin of Adam happens, God is not surprised for it by it because he always had this plan of salvation. And he displays amazing patience and grace in waiting. And so this morning, we have a seeking God that asks that question, where are you? We have a searching God a searching God that is still searching for us. And we have a saving God. A God who in Jesus wants to save everybody. Let's just pause and let's just ponder that word as we...